Happy National Crafting Month, everyone! This is Greg, and here are the hot glue and popsicle stick offerings you can listen to in the Popping Colors feed in March 2022. On the flagship Popping Colors podcast, we're picking up the pieces with a conversation about representations of grief in popular culture. I have an Under the Stole interview with David Reynolds, the author of Abe, Abraham Lincoln in His Times, which serves as the inspiration for a new documentary entitled Lincoln's Dilemma. Here, David weave together the history and mythology of the great emancipator. Betsy and I are bedazzled by movies from 30 years ago this month. We discuss the joys and challenges of John Singleton's masterpiece, Boys in the Hood. Finally, Dan Joslin Simitowski is back to discuss baseball and sacraments on a new episode of The Sacred Six. This month, the glitter will be flying when we discuss confirmation and Joe Carter's most famous home run in World Series history. You're listening to the little DIY pod that always colors outside the lines. Thanks for joining us and keep those collars pops. Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going On 30, a Popping Collars side project where we throw a welcome home cookout for Doughboy. Oh. How great was that cookout? That's some good food. Some Domino's really- and spades. It was good. <laughs> it was good. Uh, we throw a cookout for Doughboy with movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month. We're looking at John Singleton's debut feature, Boys in the Hood. This is Los Angeles, gang capital of the nation. It just goes on and on, you know. Either they don't know, don't show, don't care about what's going on in the hood. In South Central LA, let's do the local thing. It's tough to beat the streets. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? You shoot the mother. Think, young brother, about your future. No, you sweat me. You're my only son, and I'm not going to lose you to no book. Hey, don't worry about it. I can take care of myself. Trey wanted to work his way up. Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. I heard you like Mr. GQ Smooth now. Maybe some of what you got to rub off on it. Ricky was looking for a better life. I want to do something with my life, right? I want to be somebody. When you were a little boy, I used to run around here all the time with that football in your hand. I always knew you would amount to something. Doughboy was living by the laws of the street. We got a problem here? Can we have one night where there ain't no fight, nobody gets shot? It's hard to be a saint in South Central L.A. I don't understand why you insist on learning things the hard way, Trey, but you're going to learn. Rule 
number three. Don't take your life for granted. Is this the craziest place on the planet? Something wrong? Something wrong? Yeah. It's just too bad you don't know what it is. Betsy, I have a brief description of Boys in the Hood. Would you like here? I would love to. This is actually this is unusually written. Why unusually written? Well, it anyway. I'll here it is. Okay. Boys in the Hood is the popular and successful film and social criticism from John Singleton about the conditions in South Central Los Angeles where teenagers are involved in gunfights and drug dealing on a daily basis. That is a terrible summary. It's not really a description of the movie. (laughs) Why why all this popular and successful? That's terrible Mm. writing. Mm. And why is that what we're harping on when the, the groundbreaking social commentary, that's the focus. Yeah, that's uh, not pointing at systemic problems at all in that little summary. (laughs) I would say this isn't the best summary in the world. I I didn't write it, so I'm not going to claim it. You could have done better, though, Greg. You're get in. Well, honestly, though, this is the kind of movie that it's hard to sum up in uh, one sentence. Yeah, totally. Before we get to all that, what is your history with Boys in the Hood? I believe. I did not see this in the theater. Mm-hmm. I do not think I saw this in the theater. I saw it when I went to college, video rental or what have you, or a theater replaying things in Chicago. That is probably where I first saw this movie. And having friends who are involved in radio, television, and film majors and all of that, like this was uh-huh. an important movie. And so, yeah, I remember when this movie came out, getting it mixed up with menace to society because they both had that kind of abbreviated titles. So menace to society was like the number two boys in the hood was the letter in for it. So I don't know. There was a lot of like sort of crossover in my brain with the way that those, and then you had like all of Prince's songs that were out around this time. the numbers for and the number two in titles and stuff. But what, where I remember catching up with this movie was maybe on the five year anniversary of the movie. It got a sort of heavy rotation on HBO or something like that. And I just remember watching it over and over again, like, you know, catching it halfway Mm -hmm. through catching it towards the end with Ricky catching it, at the beginning when they're boys, you know, it's like all like there were there were a lot of times where I just kind of dropped into this movie, like in that 96, 97 range. Um, so what are your hot takes about the movie? Hot Initial takes. Larry Fishburne is oh my God. an actor. We're skipping right to it. You boys want to see something? Do we have a choice? No. Hey, man, I don't know about all this period. Rick, it's the 90s. Can't afford to be afraid of our own people anymore, man. Why don't y'all take a look at that sign up there? See what it says? Cash for your home? You know what that is? It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. To bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything black, black owned with black money. Now, if you want to talk about uh, guns, 
Why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. Yeah, the best way you can destroy a people, you take away their ability to reproduce themselves. Yeah. Who is it that's dying out here on these streets every night? Y'all. <laughs> Just he's just I I appreciated his presence in the movie. And it's interesting how so many of the movies that kind of came after this would also have that older black male figure Mm -hmm. who's trying to kind of tell it like it is or offer the history or kind of trying to set and situate where we are. And whether that's Fishburne or Samuel L. Jackson or someone else, they're working to even have that. And he even had multiple multiple layers inside that with this film so you've got you've got larry fishburne but then you also have with a special send up and tribute in the in the credits at the end whitman mayo who's there as the old man at the billboard scene so you've got kind of generations of black men in this movie which i think is so interesting and he gets kind of a special special credit at the end. Yeah. Okay. So I was, I was about to say that was Grady. That was who I thought of. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, and I found, I found all of that really interesting. I mean, this, this was really a peek into a world that as a, as a white young person, the, you know, the age a little bit younger than, than Doughboy and, you know, Cube and Gooding, Cuba Gooding Jr. And like, you know, that I had, I had no idea. Right. right. You know, you hear about the crack epidemic and things like that, not really seeing or knowing the angles that that Larry Fishburne is laying out and mm-hmm. talking about how this this wanting of a community to decimate itself. So it's the beginning of the message. Right. For someone of at least my generation uh, who's growing up in the circumstances that I did and then. Yeah seeing it 30 years later and we'll talk about legacy that it's i've got more i mean it's prophetic yeah i've got more larry fisher notes for later in the show but can i just say so this is pretty close to school days where he's doing something similar as far as just kind of explaining you know explaining the world to you and i remember where um there was an interview with Steven Spielberg where he was talking about Jurassic Park and he was talking about casting Jeff Goldblum for the movie. And he was like, the reason that I cast Jeff Goldblum for that particular part is because that's the part that basically explains the world to you, explains like all the world setup and stuff. It's the exposition part. And Jeff Goldblum does that so entertainingly that you're getting an exposition dump from someone who's really good at it. And I would say the same thing is true of Lawrence Fishburne. Whenever you need to explain what the rules of the world are, like thinking of the matrix and stuff like that, he's just so good at giving you the skinny in a way that's still compelling so that you're not checking out and like looking at your phone. I've got Four, four-ish kind of small sort of hot takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one's not small at all. The opening shot with the audio over black and then cutting to the stop sign. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Yeah. It, 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 come on. That, it, if you... 
told me that's a first time an opening shot from a first time feature filmmaker, I would say your line like that is incredible. That's one of the greatest opening shots in movie history. Mm-hmm. Um, my other note is the stand by me moment. Oh, yeah. You want to mm-hmm. see a dead body. And what's great about it is that it's so clearly like it is so clear down to the exact same dialogue, pretty much. Right. Yeah. Uh, a stand by me moment. But it's stripped of all of the fantasy that Rob yeah. Reiner has. You know, it's just stark sort of reality. And that we return back to it when it's the four of them on the train tracks, the boys. Yeah. Later without the girls. Like, it's just, um, yeah. My third note, and now we're getting into sillier territory. Mm-hmm. I have a soft spot for that early 90s Gerbo fashion. There was a company, Merite and Francois Gerbo. Their stuff was just all like really colorful, really cool patterns. And the reason that I have a soft spot for it is because it was basically my wardrobe of the early 90s because yeah. my mom worked for Gerbo. <laughs> And so I was getting these clothes on the regular. Did your mom work at the Fox Hills Mall? Is that where she was working alongside (laughs) Trey? No. She was not working here with him. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And also the, all of the Georgetown, Georgia Tech, like all of the. Oh, yeah. All the college gear. But then noticing at the end that he's wearing a Crenshaw shirt. It's like, there's all this you know, aspirational look of other places or trying to pull in all that. And then, then we're in the hometown shirt. We should say, and I, I think I'm going to save this part of the conversation for the legacy conversation. This movie is full of ideas. Like it is chock full of ideas. You can sort of, you get the sense that John Singleton knows that he's making this movie, but he doesn't know if he's making any more movies. Oh yeah. And so he is, he is 23 get, years old, 22, yeah. 23 years old. And so this he's going to get dad. all of his ideas into this movie. Absolutely. You know? The one that stood out was the AIDS conversation at mm-hmm. Doughboy's uh, homecoming. Mm-hmm. And thinking that this is a conversation in a movie that's come, coming out in July of 1991. And the Magic Johnson press conference is going to be in November of that mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And how that press conference is going to change the dialogue around AIDS moving forward, especially in black communities. uh, Yeah. That one was one that I was like, wow, what a choice to include that conversation and what a choice to have your characters. I would say knowingly making errors as far as the comments that they're making about the, the virus. It's just, it's, it's one of these movies that's stuck in the middle of like so many key American history events that are happening in 1991. Mm-hmm. So you have the Rodney King beating in March. Mm-hmm. You have, um, like I said, Magic Johnson in November. Like all of this stuff is kind of happening around when this movie is. And it feels like this movie has its finger on the pulse of all of that. There's another, it's another film with a great soundtrack. It was great looking at, you know, we got a little Tevin Campbell. We got mm-hmm. some Tony, Tony, Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all sorts. It was that. And was keep in mind, I mean, 1991 has, I mean, you've got the New Jack City soundtrack in 1991. You've got, I mean, there are incredible soundtracks like in this year, you know? Well, and you have um, a musician in the film. Yeah. yeah you've got Cube in the film. Everybody knows he's with NWA and, well, and all of that. Well, I don't know whether he was at this point. Yeah, I think 
I think they had just kind of, well, at least they were on hiatus at this point. Yeah, they were, they were into their own projects. Yeah. So, yes. So he, but he was, you know, so you got to have him on there. Yeah. Hey, speaking of first time filmmakers, Betsy. Let's do it. What? Yes. I couldn't. For for the second time in going on 30 history, I couldn't keep it to five. I've got a top 10, top 10 movies from first time directors. Top 10. Because there were just so many. I, I couldn't I couldn't help it. You gotta so. learn to edit. You gotta learn to edit. All right, fine. You better not have an honorable mention. I do have an honorable mention. Damn it, Greg. <laughs> fine. Okay, my honorable mention is Steven Spielberg with Duel. Because Duel was a never heard of it. Duel was a made-for-TV movie. Oh my God, you've got to watch it. Never heard of this. What is it? It's about a guy. It's about a guy um, who is chased by a truck in kind of this fit of road rage. If you ever get a chance, check out Duel. It's like uh, it's like Jaws, except except with highway road rage instead of a so shark. Like a Christine kind of ripoff. <laughs> yeah. Except that it's a, the, the truck isn't evil. Like it's a guy that's chasing him. Oh, okay. Just that you never see the guy's face. It's great. Okay. All right. Okay. okay so, all right. Dual add it to the list. Okay. What add about it number to the 10? List. Uh, number 10, Sydney Lamette, 12 angry men. Yeah. That's pretty good. That is a good one. That's a good one to start on. Yeah. All right. Number nine. Number nine, Spike Jones being John Malkovich. Yeah, that's a weird guess, movie. <laughs> all those, all those, all those. So you're not counting all of his music video directing? No, 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 no. Just, just features, features. Just features. Okay, yeah. okay. All right. Number eight. Because it's got to be just features because of my next one. Sophia Coppola's The Virgin Suicides. That is a little close putting them next to each other, but that's okay. All right, mm-hmm. all right. We'll let that. We'll let that go. Uh, how about number seven? Number seven, it's the Wachowskis with Bound, which I still think may be their best movie they've ever made, okay. even over The Matrix. Okay. Uh, number six? Steven Soderbergh. We talked about it. Sex, Lies, yes, and Videotape. Yes, we did. Uh, number five? This is Spinal Tap, Rob Reiner. Okay. Number four? Number four, I went with Quentin for Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Three? Three, I got to give it to Greta Gerwig, Lady Bird, man. Oh, really? Great first feature. Great first feature. Uh, number two? Number two, we keep it sort of in the now, Jordan Peele with Get Out. Okay. And number one? Number one, I couldn't be any other movie. It's Citizen Kane by Orson Welles. When your okay. first movie is the best movie of all time, you've pretty much done it. John Singleton could easily be on this list along. It could be a top 20 list for, uh, yeah. for all of that, but it's amazing how many great directors have great features uh, mm-hmm. to start off their career. So. And that, that for Singleton, you know, having so sadly recently died so young, 51, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can go out there and see a lot of different tribute and reflection articles. I think particularly with, the 30th anniversary of Boyd's in the Hood and his passing being so close together that he did so well on this. Made other great movies too, Baby Boy, Poetic Justice, in the latter part of his career, crossing mm-hmm. over and doing much more Snowfall, doing much more TV, and really kind of having his own criticisms of the Hollywood system that he was not quiet about, which was good. But 
the ability around being a black director and being a black director. Spoiler alert, nominated for an Academy Award. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then that huge gap between him and the next black director. Yeah. And so he's to be so young and, and burning so bright and really leading this charge. Is that part of his legacy? There's so much of his career, and this isn't to, you know, say that there's a one-to-one of like black directors or something, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, a person that could have easily been on that top 10 list is somebody like Ryan Coogler, whose first Mm -hmm. um, feature film out was Fruitvale Station. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's great to see, you know, because I think John Singleton had this amazing debut and really kind of got shuffled out of the Hollywood system. And to see someone like Kugler be kind of embraced by like the major studios of Hollywood um, to come in and make their movies. I just think that like it's, it, it shows that like, at, at least I hope there's some correction over these last 30 years of like seeing how these young up and coming black directors are sort of treated by the system. So, mm-hmm. so what is the best scene from boys in the hood? The billboard scene mm-hmm. that I enjoy, you know, everybody sudden gather around. Yeah. It in, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Got this old guy from over here, young <laughs> folks from across the street. It does have kind of down, a dead poet's feel, doesn't it? Laying down some teaching. Yeah. It does. It does. Uh, but then I really, the. I really like the Crenshaw Avenue scene that starts in the car. Yo, man, you believe in God? Yo, fool, I wasn't even talking to you. This is an A and B conversation. You know, you can see your way out of it. Yeah, you can see your way out my rock. And we'll see your cripple ass walking all the way home. Man, look, do I believe in God? Yeah, I guess I do. How else can you have a sun, the moon, and stars? Sun, moon, stars, ain't no God. With uh, Cube and, I mean, Regina King. Can you, I, I mean... I need Let's to talk look about at it. Just how old is she in this movie? Like people would people have been watching this and being like two two seven. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Just how she, how old is she in this movie? Like 20, 19, something like that. She's just she's just such a powerhouse. And Neil Long's great too. I mean, there's so many great actors who were in this mm-hmm. film, but just the four of them in the car you know, talking about talking about God, talking about you know, why is the world the way it is and being critical of the world, but knowing they have to participate in the world, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the system that they're in bemoaning it. And yet also having to play a part of it because it's about survival that that scene, I really appreciated in terms of that view into kind of Crenshaw culture and all yeah. love Regina King love the fact that we like our generation has had the chance to basically watch her grow up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to see her doing stuff like Watchmen stuff, mm-hmm. like one night in Miami, you know, all of the, like, it's just like the arc of her career is just really amazing. And, mm-hmm. and this is a great sort of point along the way. So, uh, so I do have Furious's speech mm-hmm. as my best scene. It's Lawrence Fishburne sort of laying out how all of this happens. You know, it's like, look, I'm going to I'm teaching you about sort of 
black masculinity in 1991, but here's how that's affected by all of this other stuff. And he gives like this roadmap um, going forward and, and how you got to where you are on the journey to this point. And it's just, I, I, again, like, I think he's super compelling. I think the scene itself is uh, really compelling to watch. I think the way that it's looking up at him, the camera, like he sounds, it sounds like you're learning, uh, which I think is a, a really sort of powerful moment. Lawrence Fishburne, it should be said, is one of our great American actors. And I don't know that he is held in as high esteem as he should be held. Like he is in that pantheon of all time greats. He's in that Paul Newman, Brad Pitt, whatever category you want to think of as, you know, Robert Redford, he's in that category of actor in my mind. And we've kind of done him a disservice, I think, in not recognizing the gravity uh, of his roles and his movies and all of that stuff. So Lawrence Fishburne is great. Is what I'm trying to say. It's really great. And, you know, this feeling of, is this our audition tape for what's love got to do with it? Yeah. You, know, you get Angela Bassett and they're oh, just, mm-hmm. and just kind of in a role that you know, in terms of screen time, it's not a ton. Oh no. This movie, but to have her in this portrait of being this, you know, she's striving, she's striving to make things different and better mm-hmm. and, and wanting her child to, make it out alive mm-hmm. out of being a young black man and, and this kind of the role of parent and what that means and how you, how you engage her relinquish and when, you know, what does that look like? And her trying to kind of do that while also, you know, her bettering herself feeling like that's bettering everyone, but then this having furious be the lead parent through these really important times. Thanks for coming. So this is, uh, this is definitely you. Uh-huh. And what's that supposed to mean? Hmm? I thought we were going to talk about Trey. Um, espresso, please. Cafe au lait, please. I bought him some shoes yesterday. Why are you always buying him stuff? Can I be nice to my son? Hmm? Do I have that right? Yes, you have that right, but he has a job. You don't have to always buy him stuff. Look, did he tell you he wants to move in with Brandy when he goes to school? Yeah, so? Yeah, so? So don't you think that's a bad idea? I think that Trey is old enough to make his own decisions, Reba. Well, you're his father. That means you were supposed to guide his decisions. Well, what the hell do you think I've been doing for the last seven years? Oh, not that, evidently. Listen, Reva. It's time for you to let go. I know you want to play the mommy and all of that, but Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. That time has passed, sweetheart. You missed it. Excuse me, I'm going to get some cigarettes. No, you're not getting off that easy. Sit your ass down. Excuse me? I said, sit your ass down before I raise my voice and make a fool out of both of us. Okay. No. Right. And the sacrifices that she has to make. You know, that scene in the car when she's like, that's my baby. Like, you know, 
that is a hard sacrifice on her behalf, right? Furious is able to come in and order a fancy coffee too. But also, that's what I was about to say. Is the choice of, but I'm living in the community and I'm helping the community, and I don't, I I don't know whether I could look at this as a critique Mm -hmm. of Angela Bassett's, you know, a little more her kind of bougie, if you want to use that word here, you know, stepping out of the community, her fancy apartment, and Mm -hmm. you know, suddenly she's like, he, well, he should just come live with me, and all that stuff goes down, and part of you is like, should he? Right. Yeah. Right. uh, Because because there's something also being sacrificed there. Can I just say Angela Bassett? (laughs) The the scene. The scene where she chastises Cuba for saying who dis. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. And then then Furious gets on, does the same. Who dis? (laughs) Come on. Come on. That's awesome. Love Angela Bassett so good uh so yeah so my best performance is easy it's larry fishburne for me Me there's a lot of good choices though in this movie i think you could easily make a case for cube you know being his first movie i actually had a greater appreciation for morris chestnut watching this of his portrayal of a particular perspective inside of his community of this ability to have that have abilities to get out yeah. And, and that what that might, the amount of hope that gets invested in someone, if that's them by their family and how you try to have that USC scout cut there and trying to kind of show out and all of that and his, his contemplation around where do I go? What do I do? And the commentary that Singleton's able to have on that of like, Oh, well, maybe I should go in the army. And it's like, you know, no, don't do that. And, and all of that, like, and that there's this feeling of untouchability that you can, you can see it kind of coming from a mile away that he's going to be our tragic figure. It's just, it's just when it happens, it's just so that that death scene yeah, is so powerful, you know, be careful with him, be careful with him. I got some stats about this movie. That's 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 boys in the hood opened on July 12th, 1991. Hmm. Summer movie. Hmm. This day in 90210. Oh, goodness. Because remember, 90210, a show that runs over the summer. I know what you're thinking. Wait, but it's July. There's not a new 90210 episode. Oh, oh contraire. There is. Filmed, in fact, it is. filmed miles away from where our film <laughs> right. was, where Boys in the Hood is set. In fact, it is season two, episode one, titled Beach Blanket Brandon. Oh, dear. Is this when he starts working at the club? Exactly, where Brenda Uh, enrolls in summer school and reassesses her relationship with Dylan. Remember, they kind of broke up after the dance. Yes, the prom, right? Prom? Yeah, because they had had sexy times after the dance. Well, and that's when she and Kelly wore the same dress, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. The black dress. Mm -hmm. Black dress with the white bow, I remember. Yep. And Brandon begins a summer job at a posh beach club. That, there was no way to show enough bathing suits at the peach pit. That's right. Sure, the paycheck was a part of it. We've already talked about that. But the, okay. <laughs> that's right. Got it. So that's where we were in 90210. Domestic yeah. gross for Boys in the Hood of $56 million. That's actually Ooh. not bad. That is not bad. Uh, making it the number 23 grossing movie of 1991. Hmm, okay. 
It is the number 1,550th top grossing movie of all time. Okay. Between. Yes. A movie called Me Before You. Do you know what Me Before You is? Is it the movie? No, I'm not sure. I was like, is it the movie with the Game of Thrones girl in it? Yes. 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 It's Amelia Clark. Danny from Games Game of yes, Thrones, Daenerys when, from Game of Thrones, the guy in the wheelchair. Yes, a woman yes. falls in love with a paralyzed man. It's from like 2016. Yes, got it. So, so the boys in the hood comes between and the me guy. And the guy is from Hunger Games. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's it. between me before you and yeah. another film called Just Married. Do you remember Just Married? Is that Kutcher? Yes. Oh my gosh, you're so good at these. It is Ashton Kutcher and Brittany Murphy. Oh man. From 2003, I think. So you get Me Before You, Boys in the Hood, and Just Married. Flirt, Mary Kill. I'm going to flirt with Me Before You. Have you seen it? Yes. Oh, okay. I have. Uh, I'm going to kill Just Married. Oh, Oh, no. I'm going to marry Boys in the Hood. Oh, no. Kutcher. Sorry. What happened? I just looked at the poster again on that. It's a real tribute to low-res jeans and, you know, Brittany Murphy. Yeah, we are talking, we are talking, we're very much in the punked, you know, late that 70s show era Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Not yet married to Demi Moore. Wait, uh, did he get married to Demi Moore? Yeah, uh, yeah I thought they did get married. So not yet married to Demi Moore, Ashton Kutcher, but I think probably like dating Demi Moore. At that point. Still anyway. super young. Uh, I am going to flirt with just married. I- I've never seen it. I-, I would be curious to see a, you know, a Brittany Murphy, Ashton Kutcher rom-com. Sounds like fun. Okay. okay. I'll marry Boys in the Hood because, you know, as I've said before, I can check in with this movie at any point. Love it. I'll kill me before you. I can't imagine ever ever working up the time to watch that movie in my life so it was good. i believe it was a book adaptation oh i do believe very i thought it was like a very popular book if i can hmm. remember that i mean it's got two game of thrones actors in it that's true emma clark and charles dance oh that's right tywin lannister brendan coyle from downton abbey and matthew lewis from Harry Potter, also known as the kid. What's the who's the kid with the weird messed up teeth? Who's Neville? Neville Longbottom. No, now he's super attractive. So they Neville Longbottom. <laughs> right. He's super sexy times now. Neville. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Boys in the Hood has a ninety-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Uh, what do you think your boy Roger Ebert said about it? Oh, I think. I think Roger really liked it. Yeah. I think he he is he was gonna he'll fawn upon it. Yeah. Uh you would be correct. Boys in the Hood has maturity and emotional depth. There are no cheap shots, nothing is thrown in for effect. Realism is placed ahead of easy dramatic payoffs, and the audience grows deeply involved. Four out of four stars. There we go. Yeah. Janet Maslin of the New York Times. She says, in this setting, the actors could easily disappear into speeches or stereotypes, but they don't. 
The film's strength is that it sustains an intimate and realistic tone. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would say that that's true. I would say that's true too. Like I said, like it strips away the fantasy of the stand by me moment. Right. Yes. So it's, this is not about looking back with nostalgia. This is about looking back with melancholy. I think, uh, how did it do at the Oscars? It did not win any Oscars, but it was nominated for two Betsy. What was this movie nominated for? I already said one. That's Johnson true. Was nominated for best director. Yes. So it seems as though the Academy was did not feel they really, really wanted to nominate Beauty and the Beast. Right. They were not prepared to nominate Boys in the Hood, which is unfortunate. It is unfortunate. Yeah. It is. I could probably think of some other movies on the best picture list that also should not have been nominated, but mm-hmm. um, oh, what else? So you got one of them, best director, John Singleton, and is it like like the set? No. No. Sound? No. Song? Okay. So uh, you're, 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 you're ice cold. So uh, keep in mind, this has a lot of ideas, right? He's got to get all these ideas into a script. Oh, script, script, script. Yeah. Best original screenplay. Best original screenplay. What's up? What's up? Yo, cuz. I know why you got the call last night. Shouldn't have been there in the first place. Turned on the TV this morning. About living in a violent, a violent world. Showed all these foreign places. Started thinking, man. Either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. All right. So now let's have the big talk, which is the lasting legacy of this movie and i wrote intersectionality Mm -hmm. because of all of the ideas that he has and how he's trying to explain all of them at one time so here here are just a few things that i sort of picked up as themes from the movie masculinity right especially black masculinity it's a big Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. um life in uh la uh, relationships to law enforcement, getting out. How do you improve your station in life? What does improvement look like? Community. How does your community support you? How can your community sometimes hinder you? Economics. How do economics work in this neighborhood? How do they work in other neighborhoods? All of these things are at intersections with each other, and all of these things inform each other And what ends up happening is that you start to see that what all of these characters are living in is a web of lots of different things that impact their life. And so it's not about one thing. It's about a lot of things. Well, and I think now we would, you know, the word we would, we use now is systemic, that there's a systemic, you know, now that we can talk about redlining, the effects of capitalism, the, the, the war on drugs, you know, your Reagan Bush poster, your all all of this stuff that has been working to keep black Americans in their place. And it's white supremacy. Yes. And that how those some systems turn people against people from the same community against one another, whether you're looking at the relationship with the policeman, whether you're looking at the relationship between the gangs or whether you're and that 
Fishburne's trying to make all of those points furious. And I love that that's his name, mm-hmm. even though he does not. There are times when he's, but he's not, a, he doesn't appear angry, right? I mean, that there's also he's that challenging of that angry black person, angry black woman, angry black man stereotype mm-hmm. that, that even though having the name furious, he does not step into that. Right. Um, I remember those meditation balls. Yeah. That he has. I, I, I had some, I bought some. Oh, my hands were never big enough. Oh, I saw. I, have I got some small hands. ones. I got small ones. I got small ones. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's something about that. And the, the, I wonder about that as a tool in the movie in the most stressful parts. And that's what I love about this movie. It's not all one thing. Like we always try to boil things down to like one issue and especially this. So like I said, this movie comes out in July. The Rodney King beating happens in March when it's filmed. And then it's shortly released to KTLA, I want to say a few weeks afterwards. And then you have the trial and the verdict from the trial happens in 92, right? And then the the anger that happens as a result of that. Which, by the way, if you want to hear more about sort of 1991, 1992 in LA and how all of this these systems work, I would highly recommend the Slow Burn podcast, which is mm. currently doing a series mm. on what they call the 92 LA riots, because that's what it's popularly been dubbed. And if you want to sort of hear a deep dive into a lot of the things that this movie touches on, that podcast kind of gets at around this information. Even like the subtlest parts of this, like when they go to the neighborhood and he wants to show them the billboard, this this statement that not all black neighborhoods are the same, that, you know, they feel fine in their neighborhood, but they're like, what are we doing over here? But you were afraid to go to Compton. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. Mm -hmm. And that that sort of way of of looking at how different neighborhoods view themselves Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, black middle class, lower middle class kind of parts of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But there's it's not Mm -hmm. all the same. Speaking about Furious's speech, by the way, though, and this is just a personal anecdote that I have. So I work for a parish in Palm Beach, Florida, which is a a very wealthy area of the country. Some of those people believe firmly, and I don't think that it's a, you know, I think that this is their constitutional right, believe firmly in their right to bear arms, right? Mm -hmm. They believe that um, they should have the opportunity to carry and possess a gun on their person at all times. Let me tell you where you can't buy a gun. Mm -hmm. And that's anywhere in the town of Palm Beach. Now, if that is such a priority for you as a person, it seems as if you would prioritize the buying and selling of that product in your neighborhood. And the fact that you don't indicates actually where the value is. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about Singleton's solution to these problems, at least when it comes to his characters? Mm. It feels like his solution is built around individual education. Furious's solution is, if I can save my boy from these systems that are built around making him a dead person in L.A., mm-hmm. If I can educate him about what's around him, educate him about what the best decisions are, 
he can at least navigate the neighborhood better. So it feels like Singleton's solution to counter the systemic racism of LA is through education. Some and and Furious has his own education, but I also see it as his his you know when he talks about we need to have things here be black owned. Yeah, he's helping black people buy their homes and own their property so that people aren't coming and buying it out from underneath them or you know if they rent or whatever like trying to kick them out and and tenants rights and all of that. So he has he in his own career has made a choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that is held up as a potential example. We don't really get into having a conversation with Trey about like what he wants to do and what's he going to major in and all of that sort of thing. But Furious, by his example, is saying, you know, I see my role as being an involved member of this right. community in the way that I can, because he's he's fighting against the system, the systemic problems that he names. Yeah. Who is Boys in the Hood for? Who's this movie for, Betsy? I feel like this movie is for Black and white America. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much representation inside this for people who would not have seen their lives depicted on screen. And also for white Americans who haven't seen any nuance. Yeah, that's exactly what I have. I have It's for America. That's what I wrote. What I have is actually John Singleton's trying to explain to you what's about to happen in 1992, and no one is listening. And this is why Hollywood uh, give young filmmakers a chance to tell their stories. My God, young filmmakers actually know what it is that people are talking about. And I think it's it's always Singleton that the heart of his work, it's always the humanity, mm-hmm. the, you know, being human beings. It's the humanity over the hustle. Um, okay, so what is your rating for Boys in the Hood out of five? I'm giving it a five. Wow, Betsy. I am. Have you ever given anything a five before? I don't know whether I've ever given anything a five. I am unsure. We would have to check the records. Wow. How about that? It's just it's it's just such a seminal film. It just is. Nice. Uh, we're in the same ballpark. I gave it a 4.5. I mean, you know, it's still a first time. Fe- like, there's still some hiccups in this oh, sure. thing. Sure. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that by I'm forgiving any... the schmaltzy music. I'm forgiving yeah. the schmaltzy music. Yeah. And by no means is this a flawless masterpiece, but... You know, it is an it's a movie that has something to say, which absolutely in 2022, that's saying a lot. So the Academy famously did not nominate Boys in the Hood for Best Picture. Why did you and I choose to nominate this movie? Uh reference the entire conversation we've had up to this point, wouldn't you say? I would say that that's accurate. Yes. 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 Um, I mean, so culturally significant, all the things that we've talked about, the way it's been treated over time. So important. So it feels like a miss. I don't know why. I mean, I can point to race. I can point to other things as to why the Academy might not have gone here. Did they think it was just supposed to be some extended music video? Did they not watch it? Yeah, it's, I, I can't really say, but I wrote this watching this movie again. This movie is better than most other movies that you'll see from the year 1991. 
And uh, I think this is a situation where the Academy are trying to be gatekeepers to new voices and black talent. And it's absolutely why it doesn't show up in that category. So so I give it now, Greg, I'm a little depressed about what we have to watch next. Oh, well, we've got Bugsy. Bugsy is next, right? Alphabetically, (laughs) am I correct? All right. So next up, on our going on 30 experience. Betsy, can you believe that we're four movies into this thing and we still haven't gotten out of the bees? I know. <laughs> I know. We'll have we'll have a big jump after Bugsy, but still. What is happening? But uh yeah, we have Warren Beatty. The only thing I know about Bugsy is that this is the movie where Warren Beatty and Annette Benning fall in love and get married and live their lives together. <sighs> going forward uh, she gets pregnant i think yeah wild bugsy uh so that's next up on going on 30 some housekeeping before we sign off mm-hmm. do you want to make your voice heard i've i've gotten feedback that people have reactions to our movie conversations but they want to they want to weigh in oh but we are famously not on social media right so if you want your voice to be heard, email us your thoughts about, that you have about Boys in the Hood or whatever movie we talk about. Email us your thoughts to poppingcollegepodcast at gmail.com, and we will read your comments on the on the show. That'd be great. Is I bet it's all those Beauty and the Beast stands. I bet that's, that's right. what it does. That's right. Guys, the Beasters, the Beasties, I don't know what they call themselves. That's totally missed. Missed They're the point of Beauty and the Beast. We just, we flopped it. <laughs> here's my, here's my 10 point essay on why you guys were so <laughs> wrong about Beauty and the Beast. That's right. That's right. Uh, by the way, what did, uh, what did your sister have to say about Boys in the Hood? Anything? We did not have a conversation <laughs> about Boys in the Hood. But I did though watch it with my 14 year old. Oh, okay. She initially said, I don't really want to watch a serious film. I'm yeah. not really up for watching a serious movie. Yeah. And then and then we kind of kept watching it. She kept staying because I kind of said, give it 10 minutes, see what you think. And so she stayed. She turned to me and she's like, wow, this is really making a lot of commentary about, and she didn't say that, but she said family and capitalism and community. And like she was, she was like right there with it. And I was like, all right. You know, all right. She, and she's like, that was really good. All right. Like, awesome. Very good. Loving this little project, Greg. Here we go. Getting, getting my teenager, who's my <laughs> age then, watching all this stuff. I can't, very can't wait bizarre. for her thoughts on Bugsy here. Very oh. bizarre. <laughs> oh, God. I, I don't think I can do that to her, Greg. I'm having a hard time doing it to myself. I don't <laughs> think I can do it. Betsy, thank you for hanging out on the front porch with me. Anytime. Watching I, Boys I love, in the Hood. I love the stoop. I need you to promise me that you won't lose my football. <laughs> I won't. I'll leave it at home. Good. Thank you. That's yeah, the safest place for it. It is. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.